0: Welcome to another edition of the Jailsnet podcast, the independent Rangers podcast by fans for fans, where all the content is absolutely free, coming to you in association with Forest Precision Engineering. I'm your host tonight, Brian Archer, in the hosting chair again, and joined as always for these World Cup bonus episodes by my guest, Alex Anderson. We're recording this episode on the evening of Wednesday, the 7th of December, which is the first day of no World Cup football since the tournament began. Alex, I don't know about you, but I'm starting to get withdrawal symptoms. How are you coping?
1: A bit of both. Me, I'm like total withdrawals, <laughs> withdrawals, but also needing to chill out. When I'm really getting like a, a kind of dimly lit room with you know on a big sofa with like Portishead dummy playing in the background. That was just it, it's. I definitely need a break, you know. But I'm I'm finding it harder. It was, what was that? Eight games in four days, and with yeah. the two to, the two that went to penalties like Monday night, choosing the early kickoff last night, and and Monday night, it was like you're getting forty minutes to get your dinner, you know, <laughs> and that kind into you. I um, it's mad to think there's actually another, another only eight games to go because every time you get another game, yeah. it's the the magnitude increases. So yeah. you, you feel as if there's actually more, there's more to happen, more drama to go. But I um, it was it was. Uh, it was quite intense. I definitely felt like I was Switzerland uh, by that last game. Like, just talking, to passing me by. You know, I was done. You know, <laughs> what do me mate? How are you coping? Yeah, I'm.
0: I'm missing it. To be honest, I've kind of structured my day around these games, expecting these games at, at these certain I, times, and it's just kind of throwing me off, not having any games, and then the same again tomorrow. I don't know what I'm gonna do. So. That's
1: a, It's it's, it's, in, it's like it's like a drug. You know, it's in, it's in your system. So even though I'm thinking I need a break, uh, my nervous system's giving it. What's happening, Alec? We're supposed to tell you what's what's happening to the remote? Why you know get the World Soccer route madly checking up who that guy plays for? You know, it's just, <laughs> but we'll get there.
0: I know exactly how you feel. Um, right, folks we will do what we usually do, um, and that is we'll have a bit of Rangers chat first of all. Um, obviously, we had the AGM yesterday. Uh, so there's a couple of things that came out of that that I think worth talking about. Um, one of the biggest things, um, certainly from my point of view, that came out of it was the announcement by the club that there's due to be an upgrade of the disability seating. Now, for me, this is quite a kind of personal one because I sit down there, down the front of the main stand. So this is going to have quite an impact on my own um, kind of match day experience. So this is something that I think was pretty long overdue, and I was quite glad to see that they've committed to kind of overhauling the the seating in that area because I know personally how badly exposed that can be to the elements, especially on those cold and wet December nights. Um, But Alex, what did you think of that announcement in particular?
1: I thought it did. I thought. Obviously, you're you're the expert here, mate. I, I can't. I, I just know that I was really pleased for you. will Remember, Charlie Murray from Linwood at last year's AGM, got up and yeah. made pretty much the most emotional speech I'd ever heard yeah. uh, at Rangers AGM. Um, since I mean, I've I've only ever been to one AGM. Somebody's kind of sneaked me in, um, but you see more of them now these days. Uh, the, the club put them out on video. I it was. I felt as if. <laughs> A lot of people get really worked up, you know. Obviously, watching Rangers fall, Rangers, and there's a lot of the kind of the language of like a, a disgrace that we didn't win the league. You know, it's it's shameful that Ross Wilson, you know, signed such and such or did they sign such and such. But yeah. for me, when you think of all the things that have happened at Ibrox, the, the develop redevelopment at Ibrox, yep. I didn't realise until I heard the speech um, from from that fella. Um, last last year, just exactly what wheelchair users uh, were going through, and and it, and it shame me, mate, because I'd never thought about it. After, I, I, you know, you don't really, did not really consider these things. You're always kind of looking after yourself, and um, I, I think I remember last year saying, just stuff Edmiston House, stuff the, you know, the rebuilding Edmiston House, and all that, get this sorted, you know. And I understand that, uh. You have to get planning permission. You have to kind of get architects and yeah. these things. You can't just do them do them overnight. But I still feel, I still feel as if the fact that it's not going to start until the summer, like next summer, yeah. is is an embarrassment for the whole club for all of us. I think as a, as a football club. Yeah. But it's still, you know, at least it's getting at least it's getting started, mate. Um, when you think about what was that 30, 1991, 31 years ago that we we put the club deck on on top of the main stand. You know, and you've had things like, you know, Bar 72, we've got the Sky Lounge, Blue Sky Lounge, and all this kind of stuff going on at Edmondson House. And you kind of sort out, you know, the fact that we've got supporters sitting there, totally exposed to the elements. I'm just going to say one thing, Brian. I'm saying say one, one thing. When I saw um, Charlie Murray, I'll never forget Charlie Murray from Linwood, it was one of the most amazing things I've ever heard uh, at AGM. It, just, it, was, it was really emotional, it had me in tears. Um, I remember then when he was talking. I think I'd seen a couple of days, a few days previously, because it'd been Geo's before last year's AGM. It'd been Geo's first game in charge. It was yeah. Sparta Prague uh, in the Europa League at Ibrox on the Thursday night, and I'd never thought about it. I didn't even think about it. I like just something. I was walking from the underground uh, from Ibrox on the ground. coming in the back of the Copeland, and I, my, my I'm in the front of the main stand, um, main stand front. So I'm, and I'm, that's the thing. I'm saying main stand front. What I mean is I am undercover and rows yeah. back you're the front of the main stand You're on the track, you know, absolutely brutal. I'm sometimes like, oh, sometimes maybe twice a season, you feel a bit of rain in your face. And you're thinking, oh, it must be wild out there, you know, because actually it's got into this bit and
0: these boys are out there. Down there
1: you get absolutely soaked. Aye, you will do mate, absolutely brutal. But I remember seeing, uh, because remember Edmondson Drive shut off to to traffic, but it was a car, it was a limo, kind of stretched limo coming through. And it get, put into and it and was like stewards and, all that and polis getting everybody out of the way and it, it went into park in the Ibrook school, not the primary school, just across yep. the main stand, yep. I went to park in there and it had the Czech, it was Czech flags, you know, Czechia flags uh, yeah. on the, the front and the kind of official license plate uh, on the back and I think that's the Czech government officials. And I remember thinking, these are the guys that like, the previous season, Slavia Prague, what they did to, yeah. you yeah. know, Glen Kamara. And then there they are, you know, we'd already had what they did to Kamara at Sparta Prague in the home, in, yeah. when they had the home game, you know, where the school kids booing them and stuff like that. Yeah. Absolutely horrific. And the government ministers, the, the government people, Czech government officials, you know, sticking up for Kudela, you know, and slagging Kamara. And then there we were just parting the waves to make sure this guy got the easiest po- possible parking spot to get into the comfy seats in the house. And I'm thinking, our supporters and wheelchairs are getting you know, yeah. Life made absolutely brutal for them. I thought it was an absolute disgrace, mate. just—I saw that kind of that wee incident in a, in a whole new light. Um, so I am glad, obviously, that they're, that they're finally getting something done about it. But um, you're the expert here, mate. What, what do you think of yourself?
0: Yeah, I mean, for me, it's something that's been long overdue. Um, I think those facilities and all that kind of front row in the main stand haven't been fit for purpose. You know, by ten years ago, standard never meant today's standard. Um, right. So for me, it's long overdue. Um, and I'm glad they've announced that, you know, we can all say it should have been done, you know, many years ago and that, you know, it should have been, but at least now they've recognised it and they've kind of put firm plans in place to to do something about it. So that's positive. So yeah, I look forward to it. Um, it's going to massively improve my match day going experience, hopefully, and that of many others. So, you know, it can only be a positive thing.
1: No, I hope so, mate. I hope so. It's got, I'm glad I'm glad they finally getting it. I remember the scene, like uh, you would look at Sheffield United, Bram O'Lane. You know, which isn't it? You know, it's, it's a great, it's an yeah. iconic ground, Bramall Lane, but it's hardly redeveloped to the the the, uh, the kind of level that Ibrox is. And even yeah. they've got a kind of raised platform. I think it's near the cop, which is yeah. up, it's under shelter, and it's giving folk a decent view as well. It's not just about the you see the kind of physical side of things, like getting the rain and all that. It's. getting all yeah, think the, the ball game.
0: boys tend to obstruct your view a bit in those front seats. Even even the managers, should see where I am. I'm right next to the dugout. So even the away managers, like right in front of me. I don't deme- yeah. I remember years yeah. ago. Get- getting random tickets
1: like European games I was getting put about all over the place that's what I'm talking about back in the 80s you know kind of early 90s and if you got a ticket down the front of like the Govan now, now the Sandy Jardine, you would notice the camber of the pitch you couldn't yeah. even if you have the yeah, front I've couple of that. rows you couldn't see the touch line in the far side I, you know you couldn't I've see the lines that, in yeah. the box so yeah, if, you're, yeah. if you're even further down than that on the actual track itself ah, it's, ah, it's a disgrace mate so I'm, I'm glad I'm glad it's finally getting sorted.
0: Yeah, no, it was definitely good news. Uh, one of the other things that came out of the AGM, I was kind of announced a wee bit before, was that Club 1872 were voting against Douglas Park's so reappointment as a director. I think this is a bit of an kind of ongoing um, saga between King, Club 1872 versus Park. Um, what's your kind of overall thoughts on this? For me, it's a bit of a distraction that we could do without. I'd much prefer this sort of stuff gets, you know, settled behind closed doors. You know, you can't tell me that King can pick up the phone at Douglas Park and have a conversation about the differences and work it out, but they appear you want to do it in, in full public view, which is disappointing, but what's your take on it all?
1: There's, there's definitely, you know, even to the uninitiated, there's definitely some uh, politics at uh, play here, but um, it's one I have to be careful on, Brian, because I'm i i am completely out the loop with this kind of stuff. You know, um, it's automatic, I can feel like, you know, millions of Rangers supporters condemning me for this, but I, I don't pay the attention that I should. Anymore to that kind of stuff. I just look at the club. The board seem to be, you know, they seem to be well-meaning even, uh, Spoonerisms aside. Um, they, they, they seem to have the best interests of the club at heart. They're wanting paid back for personal loans yeah. they've put out. Yeah. I, you know, I, I don't see a great problem with that. I don't really know what we're expecting. Um, but there's there's a long-standing thing going on with Club 1872. Um, and well, look at the current board. Um, and I... We'll never condemn Rangers fans, you know, for wanting representation on the board, um, for, for wanting to to hold the, the the committee to hold the board, to hold the chairman, etc., up to the kind of uh, high standards of scrutiny. Um I think that's absolutely right and um it, it should be done. I personally feel there's a lot of stuff going on just now, not just to be Club 1872, but um the support in general for we're almost overreacting to certain stuff as a <laughs> because we've been so scarred by the mm-hmm. lack of scrutiny we applied yeah. when you know Craig White and whatever was taken over uh, back in 2011. Uh But yeah, it's one of those ones where I, mean, I, I got my fingers burned back in, you know, kind of 2011-ish. In fact, a decade before that, I just, I mean, I had a wee blog and stuff like that. And I was always trying to kind of stick up for David Murray, because my thing was, well, Murray brought us nine in a row and, other than the one European trophy, but he 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 took us to you know the furthest we've ever gone in the two European yeah. trophies that we haven't won, you know. And even when you lost the UFA Cup final, he's losing it yeah. to a manager he'd appointed the Rangers. Yeah. It was kinda like
0: Yeah.
1: And I had a real problem. My, my thought was, yeah, things are going down going downhill a bit, you know, but if you start kind of being totally ungrateful to people who've given you so much, you're gonna end up nobody's gonna want to come to the club. Yeah. And and I could tell I think you didn't need to know anything about the financial situation just to look at um, Craig White and think this guy's a charlatan, you know, but I get shouted down for saying he was a charlatan, you know, and then same with Charles Green, you know, this guy's obviously a bampot, but at the same time with Charles Green, I knew we needed somebody, you know, nobody else yeah. was interested in taking over the Rangers. So it's like, I let this guy do what he's going to do, but let's know, let's know hero worship him, you know, Yeah. and the yeah. same with the deals and that. So it's, I feel as if when you compare it to a lot of things that have been going on, yeah, things seem things things seem pretty as healthy as the the income we can make will allow just now. I think these guys do have the best interests of the club uh, at heart. Uh, they're not they're they going to obviously want money back that they've paid into the club personally. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I I don't know the ins and outs of the club 1872 thing. I must admit, I I get kind of I'm scarred by what I got involved in in the past. You know, um I end up sticking up for Murray and then to all intents and purposes, everybody now thinks or think they've proven that David Murray, you know, made or less killed the club, you know, or t- attempted to, sorry, by selling to, you know, by selling to Craig White. So I I I get I get I get everybody's point of view. Um I just it would be nice if we could all get on, but um I'm quite I'm quite happy that there's somebody there who's holding um these guys to account, just as there's a lot of us that are kind of quite happy with the current board. Yeah.
0: Well, I think that's fair enough to be fair, I think, you know, we'd all like for this sort of
1: stuff to get done behind closed close doors, but it's kind of unfortunate. It's one of the things, but I just know that the minute I say anything like, yeah. you know, um, I don't really know the ins and outs But people saying, well, you should, it's your responsibility as a Rangers fan to yeah. so you know all the ins and outs and they'll have a, a you know, a spreadsheet full of yeah. reasons that I need to hate Douglas Park or whatever, you know, and I, I'm conscious of that and I'm thankful for the fans for doing that, yeah. you know, but uh, I have to be honest and say I've, I've stepped back uh, from all that, you know. Um, because you've got to have a family as well, you know.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, definitely. Um, the last thing that, about the AGM that sort of piqued my interest was, there was a couple of questions about Ross Wilson's suitability for the role. Now, Stuart Robertson, I think, defended him quite um, a lot and kinda, he was, you know, adamant that they had they had faith in him and and um, they thought he was the right man for the job. Now, obviously, I think that's expected, that we'd expect the board to defend him, kinda. he's their man. What's your take on Ross Wilson and the job he's doing?
1: Uh, yeah, Ross Wilson doesn't sign football players," said Ross Wilson about myself and the third person. But I think I think he was quoting other people talking about Ross Wilson. You know, it was, I uh, it was it, it was what it was all building to, wasn't it? You know, and I think yeah. you're looking through just Twitter and what have you today, listening to you know various other people chatting about it. There's as many people who are um, raging that there wasn't enough, you know, kind of yeah. really critical questions. There wasn't enough criticism. I think there's some people wanting an all-out riot. You know, and I'm kind of like. No, um, things aren't that bad, yeah. you know. But the same people will be saying to me, "Well, you're just, you know, you're part of the problem." Then. You know, things are <laughs> going to go, are going to continue uh, going south. I think, like the thing about you didn't sign any Dutch players, for example. I've heard that. You know, Gio didn't yeah. sign any Dutch players, and he was, you know, <laughs> he's Dutch. You know, I just I feel as if that's one of the things that gets added in in a pylon. You know, yeah. we didn't we yeah. didn't win the league, and it's sending uh, to me even that is sending a lot of people more. Kind of mental than the, than, yeah. it, than it should. It's it's really it, people are going to their work, and maybe Celtic fans are getting their faces and what have you. You know, and it's and it's it, these are the same Celtic fans who were telling us, or telling the likes of me. I mean, it's, it's the it's the sons and daughters of the Celtic fans who were telling the likes of me, you know, 20 years ago that winning a treble was rubbish. You know, losing yeah. a European, losing a UEFA Cup final in Seville was brilliant. You know, the UEFA Cup is now the yeah. Europa. Like, you know, it's. Uh, so we, we've got to kind of take that and we've got to kind of learn how to deal with that and um, the slaggings we will be getting the last couple of seasons are actually a sign of the progress we're making you know the, yeah. the fact that Celtic you know used to say you know we well, were dead well clearly not we didn't die you know yeah. um, <laughs> can you see can you see the Rangers coming you know and then we won 55 oh well that didn't count because St Johnson won two more trophies than you I in a season yeah. you've won nothing you know what I mean and, and, and it's it's going on with that what's the yeah. one we're getting now you've only won two trophies and you know 10 you years or something know, like that. Whatever it is, yeah. And you feel, as well, that's, we've won two trophies in the last two seasons, which is the same as Celtic. You know what I mean? Yeah. And we won the league in the Scottish Cup. They won the league in the League Cup, so strictly speaking. it's just, You know, yeah. it's you, you can swing that any way you want. I think uh, things are going a lot better than we realise, but I think the stuff we, you know, you're not saying Dutch players, at the same time as we're getting slagged for not picking up likes of Aron Hickey or Lewis Ferguson because they've gone to Italy. It's like, you know, we're not getting the Scottish players either. So you can look at that as a case of, we need to look at our own market first, or Ross Wilson's getting both wrong, you know. Um, I just, I, I felt like even, I mean, I remember back to Dick Advocate he was getting criticised for having too many Dutchmen, you know. It's because he is Dutch, he's getting his own guys in and that's causing the yeah. problems. Again, this was only when things were starting to go south, when Martin Leone was starting to get, had, had come in and had, and had Advocates number straight away, so I think it doesn't go well on the pitch. Um, obviously everybody's everybody we can think of gets thrown into yeah. the fire line for whatever reason we can think of. But I think um Ross Wilch might want to do himself a favor. If he doesn't sign the players, he maybe doesn't want to be front and centre with uh, Aaron Ramsey, you know. When Aaron Ramsey's yeah. getting filmed giving an iBooks for the first time, Ross is I signed him, basically. Everyone every body language, everything is like I signed him, you know. And that's the thing. When he when we signed Aaron Ramsey, I thought it was brilliant. You know, a lot of us yeah. thought it was brilliant. And one of the things I said at the time, was I can't now go back on, was even if Aaron <laughs> Ramsey's a failure as a player for us, even if he's injured all the time, which was which basically what happened, um, it lets other clubs around, you know, if, you, if you're signing a Juventus player, a, a world-class player, um, it lets, you know, other players around the world know that we are somebody that, you know, decent players want to come to. You know, it's, it's, yeah. it's something that will spread the word uh, about Rangers. But yeah, I thought he, he defended himself well, Ross Wilson. I didn't know Bakunia was a free transfer. That was news to me as well, you know, but um, I think also the supporters that have asked the questions have done well. They've got, they've got stuff off their chest, you know, yeah. that we've all been talking about. I think yeah. a couple of boys talking to my gels as well, you know, which I thought was, yeah. was, was spot on and um, the fellow there like was in his eighties, you know, talking yeah. about how, and I, that's, that's how I felt as well. You know, I'm only in my early fifties, but um, I've been going to Hamden every game at Hamden for like 20 odd years with Rangers. And I didn't realise until last season, I didn't bother asking the question. Why am I not getting, why am I not getting a cup final ticket? And everybody around about me was in my jars and people who'd been gone for two minutes were getting a ticket. You no, know, that's was the kind of thing that mm-hmm. upsets me as well. So yeah. I'm doing that thing. I'm doing that thing. It's a kind of cowardly thing What I'm saying, hey, I think some people have been too harsh, but also I'm glad that there's people there asking the questions and have got an accountable board. And uh, the whole yeah. thing is a really kind of, a kind of democratic process. Um, I just hope it leads to us uh, doing better on the pitch. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I think we can all agree with that. Moving um, away from the AGM have well, a quick chat about the Leverkusen friendly at the weekend. Um, obviously, it's our first chance to see uh, Rangers in action under Michael Beale. Um, firstly, how much are you looking forward to it? And what should we hope or can I expect to get from the match? Obviously, it's a friendly, you can never read too much into it. But I'm thinking more along the lines of, you know, hoping to see the players a bit, you know, kind of the fitness work they're doing in training, hope to see some of that come to life. Obviously, hope for improved performances and maybe you know better link-up play and stuff like that on the pitch. Um, is that something you're hoping to see?
1: Yeah, I, mean, I, I think we'll all, we'll all be going along there, just reading far too much into it, won't we? We're, we're, yeah. we won't be able to help yeah. ourselves. but you're wanting to see, I, I think the fact that we haven't seen Windows for you know three four weeks now, uh, in itself, will make us kind of uh, a bit more intense. We should be about what is essentially a friendly, um, but. I don't know how much we can actually expect, you know, to 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 kind of to kind of take from this. I kind of see it being a normal pre-season friendly. I kind of see it being a pre-season it's a mid-season friendly. Um you're not going to get that thing, surely, where you're like, you know, 10 substitutions at half time. Cause I'm sure I'm surely Beale will want to stamp his authority. You know, what he's, what, he, what he get his blueprint going, what to get his team out mm-hmm. there and kind of get a bit of fitness into them.
0: I do wonder about that, because you still he's still got quite a large squad. that want to get minutes. You'd imagine he you would want Aye. to get all of the minutes so i do wonder if he does do the two teams you know a different team each half essentially almost um just because of the large squad that he's got so yeah, it will be an interesting one actually i never thought about that um because i'm guessing that they'll be allowed to just make as many subs as they want as per you know pre-season rules generally all you can right. make as many subs as you want and um, i'd imagine it'll be the same in this one so it will be interesting to see how he uses those
1: because he was talking yesterday the AGM saying like he wants to you know um the... It doesn't really start until we plays Hibs. You know, the yeah. the, the kind of his his project doesn't really start until uh, the game against Hibs. So, ah, you are right, mate. He's going to he's going to do just that. Um, just have have the whole squad uh, going out there. Um, and get and getting minutes. Although, you know, I don't know how many centre halves he's going uh, to have to, to play. You know, that's John Souter. The stuff about John Souter as well. I, I get that. good back to the AGM and, and and Ross Wilson. I felt as if that's, you know, it, it was a bargain almost. I saw John Johnson scoring against Denmark, you know, uh, in a World Cup qualifier just just over a year ago, you know, after he'd come back from injury, and it was one of the ones I think with what's happened to our centre halves. Um, if we had not signed Sutter when he was so clearly available and wanting to come for a reasonable for a reasonable price, it was like worth a gamble. That would have looked lax on the part of Ross Wilson, mm. you know. Um, but I, I don't know how how many players we've we'll actually got if we could go and f- field uh, two kind of different starting 11s. But I think he'll want to get. Something into place um that's building towards the Hibs game and what he and what he yeah. wants to start doing. You know, I'm I'm looking forward to seeing like uh, Kent and Morelis. Have they been re-energized? How is he using them? Is it is it you know a tweak to the the geo system? Just gonna just go going to tweak yeah. geo system is he going right back to his own system? Which wasn't wildly different, you know. Yeah, um, and I'm calling I'm, I'm calling it his own system, you know. Hi yeah, I'm yeah, calling it his own system.
0: And, yeah.
1: I know. I know. Talk
0: about shape and formation and what have you. That's going to be interesting.
1: Exactly. Um, well, he's 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 intense, Bill. He's absolutely intense. You know, I, I've been impressed
0: with how he speaks. I think you know he comes across really well. Obviously, the the, the proof will be in the pudding.
1: Have you watched that um, film? Was it uh, the the Northman? It's on Sky just now. The uh, the kind of Viking thing. Uh, it's called the North. Alexander Skarsgard. Is this? on a tangent here, but he's doing this thing. Um, well, they're. The, the vikings are getting themselves ready to attack someday, you know and they're doing a kind of uh i'm like these are berserkers Remember the, the word berserk comes from the vikings and they're wearing bear skins you know that's where the word i looked it up and it's like bear berserk was the word you know it was like a bear skin and that's where you get this word berserkers the vikings used to psych themselves up pretend they were bears by wearing bear skins and the one in this film is a uh, He's also a wolf. He wears a wolf skin as well. So he's like a wolf and a bear. You know, he keeps telling folk. And I'm thinking, we've got a guy who's knocked back wolves to join the Bears. And to me, Michael Beale looks a bit berserk. He comes across super intense. And I'm just wondering Mm. if it's going to be too much for the players to handle or he's going to get them psyched beyond all belief. So I'm kind of, I'm not putting the pressure on them, but I'm kind of looking for them to... To look like they're going to raid a Slavic village um, when they go into the pitch uh, on, <laughs> on on uh, Saturday, go and go, go and slaughter these Teutons, you know. So I am I'm looking forward to seeing what he's going to do, but I have no idea how he's how he's going to go about it, and that's that's what's so interesting about it, you know.
0: Yeah, that's half the fun, I suppose. Um, right now, part of the um, the World Cup. What would you speak about? I um, think we're going to go into the matches, and you know. More detail in a bit. I just want your kind of overall take on the round of last 16. I think we spoke about before, we didn't think the quality in terms of the football and quality was necessarily there yet in a lot of the games. Would you think that went up a level uh, in this round? I
1: think it did. I mean, the number of goals certainly uh, seemed to go up as well. It was absolutely fruit. I've been sitting there thinking last night when... Um, I noticed the previous night there was one each uh, with Japan and Croatia. And then last night, obviously, Spain and Morocco were kind of 0-0 for a while. I'm thinking, these are the first games where there's not been three goals sc- There was at least three goals in all the games. And it was a chap, um, Bankton Bear. I don't know him personally. I, just, I know him through Twitter. And he'd go in touch with me last night. he going it's well, after the Portugal game. Every single, every day of the last 16, there there've been exactly seven goals scored, which was crazy. So it was like 0-0, Morocco, Spain. And then it's almost like destined that Portugal had to beat Switzerland 6-1. So there's yeah. seven goals. It's been... Uh, and I think that also speaks to the fact that the, the big teams, the ones that are going to come through, are are really starting to motor. And I think you also saw the likes of um, France, Brazil, and to an extent Portugal, uh, who are already through after two games. in the group setting kind of got to kind of rest players and take their mind off things. But in the last group game, they are then cruising past the teams that they're, they're playing in the last 16. You know, like South yeah. Korea were done in. They had to yeah. fight to the last minute to get into that stage. Um, beating Uruguay to the, the last sixteen spot by like, a goal scored, you know, yeah. and same way like Poland with well, that thing that was nearly going down to a fair play against Mexico, and you know Switzerland did a real ding dong, you know, a lot of off field yeah. stuff, you know, because yeah. the, the cost of influence against Serbia, yeah, and you saw they just they, they couldn't sustain it. They're yeah. playing against these teams. You've had a bit of a rest. I think a lot of teams. I think a lot of um, teams wouldn't be able to do that in a World Cup if they're trying to. You know, like France are the champions, they're the reigning champions. I think if they were going for the first World Cup in a while, they wouldn't have rested, wouldn't have killed their momentum by resting players um, in their game against, who was it, Tunisia uh, in the last round of group games. But they've got the confidence, they know they can. They don't have to worry about that. Brazil as well, resting all these players, but they've got world-class players uh, all, all around the place. So I think it really benefited them. And you're seeing that they're, they're able to do their thing in their tournament teams teams that are ready to go the whole hog. So they're they're kind of mentally, their stamina's up there as well. Uh, but it was it was, there was some cracking football, you know.
0: Yeah, I'm to, I'll pick out a few games and kind of run through some of the talking points from them. Uh, the first one I'll start with is, you know, the first one of the round of the last 16, Netherlands versus USA. I still think the Netherlands are a bit of a bit dark here. I still think they've, you know, I, I, I wouldn't be shocked if they ended up in, in the final. Um, to be honest, I think they're, you know, kind of coming into a bit of form just at the right time. I've been really impressed with Cody Gakman, we played against him um, PSV at the start of the season. And the other the other good, um, player that I quite like is Denzel uh, Dumfries. I've been really, really impressed Aye. with him. Um, but I think they are just coming into form just at the right time. Aye. And
1: it's that thing where, where they, think they scored 10 minutes into the game and then they wrapped it up 10 minutes you know, to go, I think the USA were back in it for a couple of minutes, they'd scored in the yeah. stroke of time as well. They looked really smooth, Brian. They looked like they were yeah. just, they weren't, it wasn't taking a lot out of them, you know. Yeah. Um, so, ah, you're, you're, you're absolutely right. They're cruising along nicely. Also, you get that thing, like, I, I keep going about this, you know, uh, countries that have built up a bit of a, you don't just go in and win a World Cup straight away, yeah. you know, yeah. because you've got one good batch of players. You need all the kind of, almost like a cultural thing. Your whole country yeah. needs to be geared towards it. And the Dutch... They've lost the final three times, you know, so they're ready to go. They yeah. know what it's like. They've also, the only European, the only major trophy the Dutch have ever won was the Euro 88. And it was Renus Michels was the manager then, who won one European Cup as Ajax coach. And you know, Ajax won three in a row in that period in the 70s, but he was only coached for one of them. And went to Barcelona. And you've got to say, Louis van Gaal has won one Champions League. Uh, with Ajax, and then he's went to to Barcelona. So there's, there's that kind of, he's he's now in that kind of old statesman phase, the same as yeah. Michelle's was. So yeah, they were really cover, really clever, really good. And if Denzel Dumfries wants to be um, the new James Tavernier, and he can come and replace Tav when I mean, he's gone. That's that's fine. The, the boy's gone, he's he's gone well. You know, he's he's probably given himself a good chance of uh, stepping up to uh, be Rangers captain. <laughs> yeah, I'll I'll take that. <laughs> um, the next team I want to cover a bit about is uh,
0: Argentina. Now, one one against Australia. On the face of it, it looks like, you know, it was quite a close game, I think. To be honest, I thought Argentina were pretty good. I thought Messi was was magnificent. But there's been a sort of a, a subtle change to the way he's played. Now, obviously, that's to be expected when he gets older. But he does this thing where he doesn't... He seems to, like, be the master of conserving energy. Like, he'll just sort of walk around the pitch when the ball's nowhere near him. And it's almost as if he's, like, scanning the pitch to see where, where he's best to be. And then as soon as the ball comes anywhere near him, he's, you know... He's got that kind of burst of energy to um, to get away from players or just have an impact um, it's quite interesting to watch and quite interesting to like just watch Messi I don't know they sometimes do that focus can where you can focus on a player right. I'd be interested to do that with Messi just now because when the ball's nowhere near him it kind of you could almost say he looks uninterested at times but he's actually being quite clever and he's like scanning the pitch to see right where where should I be to make the biggest impact when the ball when the possession turns over and I've got a chance of getting it. It's really, really interesting
1: to watch. Because I think he did he, he did the same thing in 2014 and he got into the final. And that was because, you know, obviously this is he's a much younger man at the peak career um, peak fitness, but Barcelona were just running him into the ground. You know, they meant not, not, not just like obviously getting to the Champions League last stages all the time and what have you. Um, and, and obviously always going kind of head to head with, I think it was Atletico Madrid that season, picked them to the title in 2014. But just because the amount of friendlies they're playing and obviously him, the the, the expectation on shoulders. Argentina, one of the most football-mad countries in the world. You know The fans, the the noise they're making in the stadiums is is, is a different level. Um, It was in 2014 as well in Brazil, and it's even better uh, just now in the UAE. It's uh, good in Qatar, but um, I think that weighed, weighed him down, and he did that in 2014. And now, because it's the winter, a winter World Cup, it's in the middle of his season, it's like he's got time to You know, he's got a bit more fitness, maybe in his legs, in terms of the season, and he's doing that same thing. You know, it's almost like he's 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 allowed him to make up for kind of eight years of getting older. You know, Um, I don't know. I I don't know. The the irony is, I don't know if Argentina have got the legs. I don't mean in terms of stamina; they've got enough young players and what have you. You know, um, young players are starting to score goals and what have them. What what have you? But I I don't think they're athletic enough. I don't think they cover enough ground. And I think I think they could beat. Uh, the Netherlands. It's a it's a, it's a it's a it's a classic World Cup clash. we yeah. re- rematched the 1978 final and semi-final in 2014, which you know, um, Messi played in. But I don't know if they've got the legs to go all the way. If you think about them playing the likes of Brazil or France, like, you no, know, I think they'll run over the top of them. But I would, I'm getting to the stage, I would, I would like to see Messi doing it. You know, I said this the last time we did the pod. You know, just taking a. It feels, it feels almost wrong that not winning the World Cups is going to end up being a condemnation for him when he's done everything, literally everything except... He's now getting to stage, he's going to end up, you know, he'll have played more World Cup games than anybody else.
0: Yeah. You
1: know, um, if, if they got to the final, he would. He'd have played more than uh, Matthias, who holds a record, uh, with 25 appearances. But, um, I. I I don't know if the rest of his if his teammates have got the legs to carry him, but aye, he is. It's it's like when Ronaldo, no, Brazilian Ronaldo. We've seen the documentary recently yeah. in BBC, which I found disappointing because it only focused on that kind of uh, one story between World Cups. What it didn't say was when he broke his leg um, really badly and they come back. One of the things he started doing was hitting the ball early, hitting the ball within him, within his stride because he didn't have the pace to. He, he used to always round the goalkeeper. It was an obsession with yeah. me round the goalkeeper yeah. walk it in. I mean, he couldn't do that. He compensated, and that's your right. Uh, Messi is doing the same thing, he's he's pacing himself, and he's he knows when to go and when to do it, when to pick his moments, and it's uh, that's as much, in his mind, that's as much skill as anything he can do with his feet, you know?
0: Yeah, definitely, it'll be interesting to see how, how far they can go if Messi can carry them all the way to the final. Um, next thing I want to quickly go over is France, I think we all know they were one of the favourites going to the tournament. Um, I want to speak a bit about Mbappe, just, you know, he's always a sensational player now, but... You know the kid's only 23. You know, how how good can he be? It's actually quite frightening to think about. You know, could we be looking at another player who's spoken in the same breath as Messi, Ronaldo, Pele, Maradona, you know, the greats of the game? By the time he gets to 25, 27, that kind of peak years of his career, um, you know, it's quite scary to think about how good how good this kid could be.
1: I think Mbappe sums up the whole kind of uh, how people want to judge players. Was that thing you know, like Ronaldo is one all these Ballon d'Ors, you know, Ballon's door. And the same thing with uh, Messi, you know, he's won the, the European Football of the Year Award, so to speak, Whereas you'll get the, you get the golden ball in the World Cup and Mbappe can uh, can win that. He also could win the golden boot. He's leading goal scorer already in this World Cup. And this, with what's happened to Pele, they announced Pele's health uh, just now, you know, Mbappe is the only other teenager to score in the final of the World Cup. And for me, that's the thing. It's unfair perhaps on Messi, because to win a to win a World Cup, you're, you are, to a certain extent, reliant on your teammates, you know. George Best was... Northern Ireland, Northern Ireland couldn't even qualify for World Cup, you know, when he was uh, at his peak. See, Dennis Law played in the World Cup Finals, but at the end of his career. these are guys that won the, the European Football of the Year, but they couldn't get to the finals. Whereas Mbappe has struggled to win European Football of the Year, but he's scored in the World Cup Final, and a, he's won a World Cup Finals as a teenager. And for me, that's that already makes him a great. And he's got this chance. I mean, he looks indestructible. That's a, apart from anything yeah. else. I know that they're saying he's not been in training, but he looks like hes you can't get him off the ball even if you want to. And if he wants to score, he will. I think hes it's been a real interesting thing. A lot of young players coming through, Gavi and all that, uh, Spain, this World Cup. But Mbappe has arrived as a great and a, yeah. a, still a young great, and he's going to get greater. And you mm-hmm. see like, even Neymar, you're thinking, is he left it too late? Is yeah. he's done? And you, this thing going you know, on, we... we Ronaldo and Messi, is like the two of them are keeping each other going. The fact they're both now in a World Cup quarter-final, you know, if Ronaldo gets a game, it's it's amazing. But Mbappe just looks like he could outdo them on everything because um, he might not be picking up Champions League medals or whatever so far. Uh, he might not be getting another European Football of the Year awards, but he's won the World Cup. He's scored the World Cup final. And the thing is, it looks like he could do it again and become. There's all this stuff with Pele. Pele got injured in the 62 World Cup after winning it in 58 and scoring the final. Um, Mbappé could be the first player after Vava to score. Who scored in fifty eight and sixty two World Cup finals? There is only one. He's only other guy who scored in successive finals of the World Cup. The actual final match is the Brazilian Vava, and uh, th- Mbappé looks like he could be the, the next guy to do it. And the most amazing thing I found I was just looking up stuff about Vava last night. He, he, he died a few years ago, um, but his last job in football was as coach of Al Rayyan from Qatar. And you know, also, it's almost like. It's written in the stars, They you know, that Mbappe's going to do this. England will have something to say about that and so will so everybody else, but he, he, he's amazing to watch, mate. He is. You're, you're, you're watching a, a global superstar every time he gets on the ball.
0: Yeah, definitely. From one, you know, global superstar to another potential global superstar that I want to speak about, and that's uh, England's Jude Mellon. Um I thought he had a terrific game in Lathena, well, against uh, Senegal. Um, the other thing on this is he's obviously a, tra- a terrific young player, but the English media love nothing more than a young midfielder that they can compare to Gaza or Gerald. We've seen it with like Sir Wiltshire, Barclay, Delhi Alley. Um, I just wonder are they in danger of putting too much pressure on on this kid? Or is is he the real deal? Could he go on and you know and be one of the great English midfielders?
1: Well the thing they say the thing the thing they say about Bellingham um almost before we talk about his skill these days, everybody will talk about how mature he sounds um, right. when he's talking. So,
0: I, I liked him when we we played Dortmund last season. After we beat them four two in the first leg, he did the interview after the game, and he was the one you know out there saying, "I won't let these players give this up." You know, this was a kid; he wasn't captain or anything, but he was the one out there facing the media saying, "You know, I won't let these players give this up. We're still in this game." And I thought he looked terrific at Ebrox. I remember um, being at that game that night. I thought, you know, even though we we put them out in the end, um, but I thought he was a standout, a standout for them even then. I've
1: not seen a player. I think guys come in Jetta, Um, Guys of my age, I remember playing for um, Valencia at Ibrox, when they beat us in the Champions League game. Aboucatt was manager. Everybody that you talk to about that, you know that that year I talk about Manjeta, Just the night at Ibrox, he was amazing. One of the best players I've ever seen, and I've never heard anybody getting that kind of. My, my, my aunt and uncle took me to my first Rangers games Their kind of generation, it was Mario Kempes. you know, who scored in the 78th yeah. final for and he played for Valencia, people going about him. But Bellingham is the same. He's the next guy to get that kind of praise. Every Rangers fan, myself included, we just all kind of fell in love with him when yeah. he played against Rangers. Yeah. And, and, you know, the way he conducted himself, I mean, he was, you know, he was kind of up for it. You know, he was really, he's yeah. he's, he's super aggressive. Yeah. You know, um, he's, no, he's no kind of respect for his opponent almost. He's like, I'm not having this. Whereas the rest of the Dortmund team were like, what the Rangers all about here, this is amazing, yeah. uh, he was like, no, I'm no having it, and I think we respect him for that, and it's because he spoke so well, so respectfully as well, he was he was absolutely fantastic um, on and off the pitch, and I hope he does uh, go all the way, and I hope he can kind of keep his head, and as, as sometimes one of the guys, he's just a teenager, you know, like, so you've got Mbappe and the French set up, but the French have been winning World Cups and getting to World Cup yeah. Finals and winning Euros, you know, um. He's got guys here to take, keep them down to earth. Whereas if Bellingham keeps, going, you know, the English don't have the, the same setup at the moment. They don't have the same kind of aura about them, you know. Yeah. Um, so it could be Bellingham that's leading them. You know, if they do anything against France, would, you know, Bellingham will have to be front and center. So I hope he can. I hope he can uh, keep himself kind of uh, feet firmly fixed in the ground. I think going abroad at a, at a young age, you know, going over to Dortmund, learning the language, and settling in there is obviously going to help him. You know, he's not being closeted in you know in yeah. uh, the English in the English kind of uh, domestic setup. So. I he's been great to watch, uh, and he'll need to get even better if they're going to do anything against France.
0: Yeah, definitely. It will be interesting to see how, how his career progresses over the next, you know, few years. It's a really exciting one to watch. And um, one of the things I wanted your take on, was said the Japan Croatia game, one each and after the um, extra time, it wasn't the highest quality game. Um, Croatia obviously winning three one on penalties, um, but. I so what's your take on the whole extra time concept? Are you, are you a fan of extra time, or would you rather see it go straight to penalties, or even go back to the old golden goal rule? Or um, what's your take on the kind of ex- that extra half hour that we get?
1: I'm I'm, I'm not a fan of it when uh, I've put my dinner off until the end of the game. You know what I mean? I try to squeeze that in before the game. And it's on at seven o'clock. You know, and I've got to be at an extra half hour. I, I'm, I'm somebody likes to miss my dinner, Brian, as you can probably you can <laughs> probably tell. But um, no, I think I I've seen it all, mate. Um, I went, we're going to play the old man card again. We did Euro '96. Um, I, I went to ten games at Euro '96, and I was at the final. And I saw the first ever final decided by kind of was it golden goal, silver goal? I can't even remember. It was uh, Oliver Beerhoff scored it anyway. Um, that was one of the things they tried to they tried to bring in um, to try and solve. Everybody was to solve the problem of extra time and penalties. Um, and I remember I was at the semi final England Germany semi final, famous for guys my age. Uh, Euro '96, where it was extra exciting because you knew Nick goal was a winner, and Germany scored the goal. And then it was ruled out for offside, and it was super dramatic. The whole stadium's kind of holding its breath, thinking that's that angle done. But they eventually get done the penalties. But I think what would have happened last night is the kind of stasis that you sometimes see in extra time, where teams are like, we can't even afford to lose it now, so they basically play out the extra half hour for penalties, you know, to make sure that they're in the penalty yeah. shootout. Yeah. I think you would have seen that what like half an hour earlier in normal time, you'd have seen, you know, you'd have seen that from the hour mark onwards in the actual game itself. I don't think there's any way around it. And I like, I just, I do prefer the idea of playing football, you know, playing an actual football match and playing an extra half hour of football to try and resolve it in football terms. Because sometimes, especially in these tournaments, um, you get epic extra times, you know. They can go go absolutely nuts, you know. um, France-Portugal, Euro 84, and Marseille is an all-time classic, you know, and uh, all the guys will go back to um, Germany-Italy, West Germany-Italy in uh, 1970, kind of. Semi-final ended up four three to the Italians. So the only thing it bothers me something is it gives a it gives a bit of an advantage to whoever whoever's had to win after extra time in penalties is going to be knackered. When you're in a, in a, a yeah. tournament like that, when you're not yeah. getting a lot of recovery time. Yeah. It um, it kind of puts them at a disadvantage in physical terms, especially as you get later in the tournament. And these things become you know the, the differences become emphasised. But no, I, I know what you mean, mate. I, I don't think there's any way around it. I, I think I would still stick with the with the extra time just now. Yeah, that's
0: interesting. Um... Now we'll go to and speak about probably the tournament favourite before the um the tournament kicked off. Um, Brazil obviously beating South Korea convincingly, four uh, one turning on this style. For me, up to this point, this was probably the best the best game I've watched of the tournament. I am really impressed with Brazil. Um, they showed you know that they're they well capable of you know turning on that Brazilian style and just blowing teams away. Um, so I thought they were really good. Um, and to be honest, for, for my money, they kind of put themselves in front as the favourites for me. Um, one of the kind of controversial things about that game was their goal celebrations. Uh, I know Roy Keane was a bit unhappy of them uh, kind of doing the dancing after they, they scored. People they, they seem to be suggesting this was more of a sign of disrespect. What did you think? would you think it was a sign of togetherness or, or a sign of disrespect?
1: Right, Roy Keane doesn't like any joy, does he? He doesn't like anything kind of m- mambi, pambi, happiness. He's not into it at
0: all. We you know everything's hard to be right, You know what I mean? He <laughs> would have been absolutely furious at Nathan and <laughs> Have you seen that? If have seen that bit of skill he
1: did in the uh, Scottish
0: Championship?
1: A different class, different level. Man. I, I just for me, it's like the Brazilians. um, I think they might have disrespected themselves. You know, we were talking about this before we kind of come on here. I think that it was, it was. It wasn't. I, I don't care about them dancing, what have you. I don't care about the, you know, the intensity of celebrations or, or the kind of the choreography uh, of celebrations. But felt as if they were kind of letting themselves down um, more than disrespecting, you know, South Korea. It was, especially when they got the manager involved, which was funny. I'm not against the fact. You know, no, it was quite funny to see T.T. out there in his sixties trying to try to bust some moves and bit of granddad dancing. That 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 was fine, but it seemed a bit much. For Brazil, a club uh, sorry, a country who are trying to win a World Cup, it means more to them probably than any other uh, country on earth. Yeah. Um, uh oh. to be at the last sixteen stage, just, just celebrating, kind of getting into the quarterfinals, um, it was. Listen, after what had happened, I think that was, yeah, that was what Monday night. So during the day, we'd had the first game to, in the last sixteen at less than three goals. And yeah. it was like there you go. We've got four goals in the first kind of 36 minutes. I think South Korea were, you know, causing a lot of their own problems. You know, and I said I think they would they would be knackered after what they went through in the Friday, uh, just to get into that stage. Whereas while Brazil were putting out, you know, the kind of second string uh, against yeah. Cameroon, and even in that game the other night they bring on Weverton, the the third choice goalie who was the only guy who hadn't had a game yet. Yeah. You know, but it seemed that was part of it. It seemed like I oh, will get everybody a game. We'll have a wee dance you know, it was kind of a bit too much for me. Um, I, th- I think they're, they're maybe ruining their own concentration. I don't know. What do you think yourself?
0: I thought it seemed, I thought it showed a sense of togetherness and that this is a, a a nation that's got a real club ethos about it. Um, that, that was kind of my take on it. I thought it was a, a kind of team that's really pulling together and they're kind of, you know, going, going all out to win this this World Cup that's so important to them. Um You know, I thought it was a sign of that more than more than any disrespect. um, yeah, To be
1: honest, Um, but maybe, a, maybe, a, maybe a cultural thing as well. You know, just I, you know, I'm kind of born in North European, and I'm like, I like. Well, I've got to say, I like the German attitude, but look, that's got them the last you know two World Cups. The yeah. German attitude has got the Germans nowhere. But I I, I like that thing of you're always. It's one of my daft anecdotes, remember? It was actually Paul Lambert. Um, talking about when he was at Dortmund, Jürgen Kohler, who won the World Cup with Germany in 1990. He was the centre-half at the Borussia Dortmund at the time. And I think it was uh, leisure Warsaw, they were hammering this leisure Warsaw in the Champions League. And it was mostly German players at Dortmund, but obviously Lambert was a Scotsman. And uh, he had a kind of holding midfielder role, Paul Lambert. And he'd said, I just thought, we're 4 nothing up, you know, the game was won. I'm going to just going to jog on up into the edge of the box, see if I get myself a goal. You know, yeah. I, didn't, I didn't score that many goals, and he says Jurgen Kohler just like destroyed them, and that just was just gutted them out, filleted them yeah. on the park, and then did it all the way after full time, all the way doing the tunnel in the dressing room as well, because it was like you have got to keep, even though we've won the game, every second that you play in your role, yeah. you're making that bet, you're practicing, you're getting better at it, You yeah. need that all the time, and that's why I see the Brazilians just kind of ah kicking on. Like they should have been for me, it should be trying to win by eight. You know yeah. against the south koreans but then at the same time you see likes of spain who scored more goals it's got the exact same amount of goals against costa rica in one game at this world cup the only game they won as they did in the whole of the 2010 tournament which yeah. they won
0: yeah. you know
1: when they won the world cup so that doesn't make sense either so basically i'm just being a miserable little git. you know
0: yeah <laughs> um <laughs> talking about spain then obviously monaco pulling off yet another shock in this tournament winning the Three now on penalties. And we'll get to the penalties in a minute, but I thought Mon- Morocco looked very dangerous in attack. I thought they created some uh, some good opportunities, and you know they they had some good chances. I thought Spain lacked cutting edge up front. I think they're a shadow of that two thousand and eight to twenty twelve side that we've seen. You know, dominate. You know, the Euros and the World Cup. Um, you know, I thought they kind of lacked that. You know an edge up front. They kind of pass for passing sake at times. And I wonder if they kind of, that tiki-taka style of football sort of had its day.
1: I wonder if Spain have just kind of reverted to what they were when I was growing up. You know, what they were up until before kind of 2008, which was, I'm talking about them, they're scoring seven goals against Costa Rica, but that's the only game they've won. You know, they, what they were done for one goal, you know, last night, um, that when I got them through. um, I remember them uh, hammering, was it Denmark? I think they hammered Denmark in the nineteen eighty six World Cup, maybe in the last sixteen, and then they went out in the next round. I think they, put, I think they beat Denmark like five one. This is when Denmark were a, a great, you know, kind of a really flamboyant side. Um, this is what Spain seemed to do. They used to, they could really annihilate teams in the one off matches, but then they would flatter to deceive, and as it got to the latter stages, they would they would fall away. Got the semis the last the Euros last summer. Um, it seem it seems like they're kind of going back to that where they'll. You know, they'll get to semis, maybe even the final of the Euros, but they'll no go, you know, past the quarterfinals uh, uh, of, of the World Cup. And it's kind of sad to see them go back to that, you know, yeah. um, and it's too early to write them off completely. It's only, it is, you know, in relative terms, 2010 since they won a the World Cup, 2012 so we're only talking 10 years in international football. That's not a lot of time. You only get so many tournaments, despite what Gianni Infantino's trying to do with the, get a World Cup out every every two minutes, you know, with 200 teams in it. But um, I, I it looks just now like that they're, they're reverting to type, uh, Spain. Um, but they're still they're still great to watch. They're still great in the build up, but that they couldn't score a goal last night, even though it was at the last minute extra time they hit the outside of the post, you know, flashing it across the goal. Uh, is, that kind of summed it up for me. They've just they've, yeah. they've gone that way blunt, flattering to deceive, you know.
0: Yeah. Even those penalties, some of those penalties were shocking. I don't know what it is with these stuttering run ups. At this tournament, it's something that I've noticed in the two penalty shootouts we've had, and even the pain some of the penalties have been taken. Normal times, it's really grinding um, my gears. That one, what what happened to just picking your spot, running up and hitting it? I
1: know, I know. Well, it was first, it was Lewandowski for uh, Poland against France? Even though like, the game was over, it was a lot. You know, they got a penalty in the last minute, uh, the last seconds of injury time. I
0: thought um, he was fortunate to get that retaken because I thought his run up he stopped, so right. I thought by the laws of the game that was an illegal run up. So I, I think I was quite I think, surprised I, I, that he was allowed to retake that. I think you've touched. I think you've touched on something there. That's because if the whole point of those
1: kind of that the, certainly the Lewandowski one up, the stuttering one up, is to make the goalkeeper move. He's trying to fool the guy into moving yeah. early. So it seems wrong that when he does do that, uh, the referee then punishes, you know, the goal the goalie for yeah. for moving when he thinks the ball is going to get struck. Lewandowski, because Adam well, I think it was in the Euros, but I think it was Spain, it was against England, but Euro 1980. I'm talking about here. Um, I think it was a Spanish player who got forced to retake a free uh, a penalty against Peter Shelton because he did a stuttering one-up and it was the referee sort as ungentlemanly conduct. You know, basically thought it was cheating, and that used to be a thing, you know. Again, yeah. showing my age, so I do, but it used to be a thing like if you didn't just run up and hit the thing, you would know, kind of seen as being a bit sly, a bit ungentlemanly. But you know, it was Zaza who uh, of Italy? He got brought on specifically, it was a Euro 2016 knockout match between Italy and Germany. And he got brought on specifically to take a penalty, he was a penalty-taking expert, he got brought on at the end of extra time. And he had the most ridiculous, like, his run was all stuttering. It was just this kind of jogging in the spot thing. And of course he misses. Same as the, yeah. the Spanish player who was brought on specifically for penalties <laughs> last night, he hits the post. Yeah. You know, it seems, it seems to be a thing that happens. But I Lewandowski, I wonder if he hadn't, miss, if he hadn't done that, performed that wee dance, and you know, in the first the first time he took the penalty against France, he was kind of duty bound to do it again to prove, you know, oh, I it, it works. I bet he, I yeah. bet he wanted to squat on leather at the second time, but he thought no I better. I better do that. But I hey, Poland did penalties. You know, uh, Chesney saved a couple, and then there's Lewandowski getting one of his saved. It's uh, it's been quite wild. You know, yeah. but, uh, it's a strange style.
0: Yeah, I felt a bit sorry for uh, Sergio Busquets because that missed penalty could potentially be his last kick of a ball for Spain. Um, that's some way about. Um, i did feel a bit sorry for him. You know, a player that's won everything in the game, aye. and that's his last kind of um, act to the
1: national team. That was about. Uh, and the irony is, his dad won the European Cup with Barcelona uh, as a reserve goalie. His dad was a, was, was a goalie with Barcelona back in the 92. Uh, but he's he was a quite, he's quite a nasty piece of work at times. Basically, he's quite a sneaky guy. So um, he knows he knows how to take that off with the smooths. Uh, he'll probably be able to handle it. You know. Yeah, I'm sure it'll be fine.
0: <laughs> Um last game to speak about obviously last night's one Portugal against Switzerland. Uh, I've got to be honest, I wasn't massively sure what to expect from this game. Um, I certainly didn't expect what we got, and that was a you know um you know wonderful victory for Portugal 6-1 running out. They looked, you know, much more fluent and creative um without Ronaldo. I imagine, is that as well a coincidence, or do you think that just goes to show that potentially without him? There, they've got you know other players that can come in and, and kind of provide that fluid attacking impetus.
1: I mean he's he's it's absolutely brilliant for the man, for Santos, for the manager, because he's just you know, you drop Ronaldo and then the guy who replaces him comes in and scores a hat trick, the first hat trick of this World yeah. Cup, you know, you win six one. It's like I alright, but I bet he wasn't going to put him on until like four one up, five one up, whatever it was, I on you go, you know. Um it, it was it was it was quite a statement. Uh, and I think it's a good, it's a timely statement from Portugal. I've been kind of saying they're the kind of dark horses um, for the World Cup. And they, they really did step it up a gear last night. Just at the time, you know, the, the big boys do, should step it up. Um, again, they've lost their kind of relatively meaningless last match in the group stages. It didn't affect them at all. And even losing the star man, or dropping their star man, didn't affect them at all. Ronaldo can cheer himself up he's was it $123 million a year he's going to get paid They playing. in? Saudi Arabia, but I bet he, he, the thing with him is he's watching Messi, they've been tailing each other for, yeah. you know, best part of two decades, and he's watching Messi nipping ahead of him in the appearances, and nicking ahead of him in the in, in the goals scored in the World Cup, um, so he's he'd be desperate to get on um, and, and, and keep going, but he's been given away, he's been putting his place, because I was starting to wonder just to what extent, what how much power does Ronaldo have over this team, yeah. and is that, the same it was with Manchester United, is he holding them back, you know, yeah. but they're not going to let them. so it was a big statement for Portugal last night.
0: Yeah, I think they've shown that they've got other players um, that perhaps suit them a bit better in, in terms oh, of the but, style of play they
1: want to play. And the other thing, an extra signal for Ronaldo was the one guy in the squad who's older than him, scores, Pepe.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Nearly
1: 40 years old. So I said I remember him playing at Ibrox, scoring at I-books like 17 years ago, when he was playing for Porto, and there he's World Cup, bang, there you go. So I... Uh, uh, they, they rely on experience as much as youth uh, Portugal, but it's it's all working for them right now. So I, I'd, I'd watch them.
0: Yeah, I definitely think they're, they're one to watch, yeah. Um to head to the quarterfinals, um, what are some of the standout games that um, that you're looking forward to? And what are some of your predictions in terms of who you might see in the semifinals?
1: I'm looking, for, I'm looking forward to all of them, obviously, but um, I think Croatia, I know we're worried about the age of the Croatia team, you know, they haven't done much so far, Croatia, they've kind of, you know, penalties last night, they've kind of stumbled and fumbled their way through there. But if what I'm saying about Brazil's true, you know, this could be the kind of team, uh, uh, sorry, if the suspicions I have about Brazil's kind of attitude are true, maybe they got to be sending off early on or something like that, this, Croatia are the kind of team that could that could find them out. They're a they're, they're good Croatia, uh, when it, they've got a, a fantastic mentality. Um... I Think they're slowing down. I think obviously, you know, um, they, were, they looked a bit kind of tired the other night. You know, I think they, it was a confusing thing. I think Japan would have been expecting to play Morocco, you know, and Croatia, uh, would have been expecting to play who Japan maybe. I don't know, um, they did play Japan, but I think they would have expected the way the groups finished. We, yeah. we, we Japan finished on top of that group, and then yeah. Morocco finished, top, it, it was kind of. Uh, that, that, that threw people out, but it's not been an easy tournament for Croatia. But they're getting there, and you usually find somebody who looks like they've been struggling suddenly turns up in the quarterfinals. Just at the same time, somebody you think's cruising usually goes out in the quarters. Um, I don't know. I'm, I'm I'm kind of looking forward to that, but I'm all, but I have to admit I've got caught up in the kind of England, London-based uh, coverage, and I'm I'm really looking forward to, to England against France because it's either going to be you know, the last what's, over 25 years, nearly, nearly quarter of a century since. A holder of the World Cup has got past the quarterfinals. They've either gone out in the group stages or they've gone out in the quarterfinals or the last you know World Cup holders. So if France are going to go out and the kind of, the pattern that's been forward since they won it in '98, it would be it would be in the quarterfinals. Um and if England are who suddenly have a lot more tournament experience than we're, than we're used to England having, you know, final the Euros only lost yeah. in penalties, fourth at the last World Cup, you're thinking. This is the time to do it.
0: This yeah, it's kind of like you were saying something. about Holland, you know, you need to you need to have that experience of get getting almost there before you actually go and kind of Aye. overcome that final hurdle and, and England could potentially just do that.
1: Yeah. I've got I've got a wee theory about England. Um, notice why I've started liking them uh, a bit more than, than than usual. Uh but it might it might sound patronizing. And I I don't want anybody to take this the wrong way, but when I was growing up England teams, um there's very few black players in the England teams, and um, we know. No, it's it's just, it's just a fact of life. We saw the treatment of the uh, the young fellas, the young black guys that missed penalties, uh, yeah. the, the Euros, in the, in, the, in the final of the Euros last summer. I think they've been subjected to that. But having we held with Glenn Kamara, a lot of people speaking at Marvin Bartley and all that, a lot of stuff was coming out about the experience of black players, um, yeah. even up to the present day. It was just absolutely horrific. And I think that, they're so kind of closeted on with They've maybe built up a kind of level of distance almost from the fans and what have you that protects them. Maybe when it comes to the expectations, yeah. it used to be, you know, it was kind of dominated yeah. by white players in England. They're always a great black players you know over the last like 30 odd years, but, um, there's been it was mostly white players and you're thinking they would maybe feeling, they're kind of feeling duty bound. They, they, they'd never experienced that kind of, you know, being under pressure yeah. until they were getting to a tournament they were expected to win just cause they were in an England shirt. Whereas these young guys, you know, have felt kind of distanced from the society yeah. that they're in for yeah. their whole life. And yeah. I think it's actually built up, a, a, maybe an inner steel in them that's making them, that's giving them the mindset. And I, I'm really looking forward to seeing if they can deal with, uh, if they can deal with, uh, I, I, I don't know how they're going to deal with Mbappe. You know, you, you've got, uh, what's his, uh, Kyle Walker. Kyle Walker, no, yeah, that,
0: that's going to be a really interesting battle. Nobody's confident
1: he's going to be able to do it on his own by playing uh, his fullback. back. Yeah, I think it's they're going to get you know somebody else in and Walker steps in to, to go like kind of five at the back almost. He steps inside yeah. the centre half, uh, but they but they've been playing so well with that three in the middle, um, with Bellingham, Rice, yeah. and uh, Henderson that they don't want to alter that either. So I don't think they're just going to go for it. Stick to their own you know plan. it would seem suicidal though to to let Mbappe go for it.
0: Yeah, it'll be really interesting one to watch that battle between Walker and Mbappe. That's going to be, you know, really interesting. I think, to be honest, I think this game's going to go one or two ways. I think it'll be a real classic and a real one for the ages, or it's going to be a kind of draft, now no. It'll all be like, why are we so excited about this? But uh, I'm hoping it'll be a real classic, but I'm really, I'm really looking forward to it. It's, yeah, it's got all the makings of a, of a real, real
1: good game. I think, it's just, I think it's worth a mention. I think Morocco um, against Portugal, I think it's also worth a mention. Uh, Morocco, it's a, an Arab World Cup. We've been talking about that with yeah. the first couple of points. How you could feel the difference being you know, for the Arab nations, being in an Arab, yeah. uh, being an Arab country, and it's then you get the number of the
0: number of people that pointed out in the Morocco's game against Spain that basically it felt like a home game for Morocco in, uh, inside the stadium. It's a strange
1: thing. because hmm. Qatar, obviously the hosts, their games, especially the first game, the opening game. I mean. Obviously, I wasn't at the stadium only watching it on television, but it felt like there was nothing really doing in terms of atmosphere. Yeah. It, was, yeah. it was quite quiet. Whereas I feel like Saudi Arabia, first of all, when they beat Argentina, you felt this is a canal. Kind of, yeah. you know, they, they're like a kind of second home team almost. They were bringing that. Note. Commentators are always wanting uh, the home nation, the host nation to do well at a big tournament because it brings an extra atmosphere. But I feel yeah. as if it's just been like an Arab World Cup and the Arab teams, like Tunisia yeah. and Morocco. The atmosphere at their games has been palpable across the television. And this could be absolutely, absolutely mammoth. Uh, when they play on Saturday, and I'll miss, I'll probably miss the first half because I'll be at Ibrox.
0: Oh yeah, right enough.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so it better be good Rangers, no <laughs> Yeah, hopefully uh,
0: hopefully, Michael Buell can uh, make it up with uh, yeah. his team putting a, a good performance.
1: That's it. Mm. Well, the number 20 for Iran, is it Mamzoud, the, the fellow who was wearing the tattoo, um, just loved me for who I am, but a close-up of that during the Iranian national anthem. He's a Bayer Leverkusen player. Um, um, so I don't know, It's probably, I think he came off at half-time in their last game against the USA, so he's probably been uh, rested. you know, if he's not yeah. actually been arrested back in Iran, but um, I would like to see him. <laughs> it'd, be, it'd be lovely if he could play uh, in Saturday, maybe give him a round of applause because he's a, he's, a, he's a brave guy and a cracking player, yeah. but other than that, yeah, we're here to see the Rangers, you know.
0: Yeah, definitely. Right, Alex, I think that'll do us for tonight. And um, all it's left for me to do is remind the listeners that the podcast is available on all the usual podcasting platforms. And it's not just the podcast we've got, a journey, we've also got the articles and the forums over at the website, so check them out as well. Um, thanks, as always, to my guest, Alex. Thanks for your excellent insight, as always, and uh, your wealth of knowledge. Um,
1: War what, what stories, mate. More an anecdotes. Pleasure. That's by. the kind of
0: content the listeners, the listeners come to see.
1: That's all they're getting um, anyway. <laughs>
0: We'll probably be back um, in the next couple of days to review the quarterfinals and look ahead to the semi finals. I think Alex will probably be hosting that one. You'll be back in the hosting chair for that one. I mean that's all
1: right. Keep our part down to minimum.
0: Yeah, so <laughs> look out for that one guys, but until next time, Bye for now.